Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but preferably classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices, spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the final girl. A history of black horror. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited, Julia. I like it when you sing a song. She was already singing before we started recording, and I made her pause for a hot second. Um, So good. Hello, everybody out there who listens to Horror Movie Survival Guide. This will probably go to the Patreon first, I'm guessing, but then the rest of you guys will get this later because I want everyone to hear this conversation. Hey, Julia, tell me about it. What's up? So uh, we wanted to talk about a documentary that we had heard about uh, called Horror Noir, uh, which was made in 2019. And we couldn't really do like an episode on it because documentaries aren't really our shtick. But we wanted to do enough uh, to really talk about that because it's something that we were excited to talk about. Um, this is directed by Xavier Bergen and has an enormously incredible cast list. Legends. Black horror cinema, like looking at it as an overview for the last hundred years, basically. Like it's like looking at everything. So you literally have people from so many different generations in this film. So excited. Yes. And just to hear from um, people that we admire so much, like Tony Todd and Ken Foray and Rachel True and Jordan Peele and Rusty Cundiff and all these people who- Ernest Dickerson. Yes. Yes. Uh, That just, you know, that when you, you know, their words have so much more gravitas because you, you admire them so much. Exactly. Just heroes and legends, basically. And not just because they're heroes and legends, just like so well-versed in the craft across the whole- everything like you can tell these everybody almost like I feel like everybody in the film was a film nerd too Mm -hmm. like you could tell like the love and passion and that's kind of like us we get so excited to talk about film any day any type of genre like I know Julie and I mostly talk about horror on this show but we literally watch a different movie from another genre every week together for like almost 10 years you know (laughs) with a group a core group of friends so um we watch a lot of movies uh, from all across and I just was really excited to hear kind of a little bit of a parallel of the history of cinema, which I think about a lot um, in conjunction with looking at through the black horror lens. So, yes. And I, I think there's, there is a, there's a sentence that they open with uh, that I think was really encapsulates the movie as a whole. Um, and one of the, uh, the black actresses is saying, we've always loved horror. It's just that horror didn't always love us. And I was like, okay, there we are. Yeah. There's the crux of it, right? It's like you, and, and I think you see, especially in these actors, that there is a sense of frustration of being pigeonholed sometimes as these, like, now you're a black horror actor and now you're kind of being pigeonholed even further. But there is also this thing of being proud of it because it's a genre that they love and they're proud of the performances. And a lot of time, the echo of what those performances did and what doors they opened for other actors. Absolutely. I, I love also, and kind of in that same vein, someone was saying, um, I think uh, uh, Tanana Reeve was talking about black history is black horror. Like it's like the looking at America and what it is and what we what it is done to people, to us as a people, to black people um, is really um, empowering looking at it through cinema as well, too. And also a whole nother another way, man. Uh, 
I'm still like overwhelmed. I thought it was so I'm I'm still like just so happy that um we I thought I watched this. <laughs> and that we can re- recommend it to all of you and to you know I think what the most fascinating thing about it is is it goes through uh like the black role in horror films that's changed throughout mm-hmm. the years, you know, and it starts off way at the beginning. We're starting birth of a nation where, you know, like they're the villains. Right. And then you kind of get into like, now they're the comedic relief. And like, now they're the sure fire person to be killed. And it just kind of goes into this, this but you see it, it is an upward, an upward swing, right? We are going yeah. on an upward journey, even if it's a slow journey, it is getting to a place where you have much more voice and much more diversity. Well, I was just really excited because I've, you know, I talk about this all the time. I've watched all the AFI 100, like greatest movies of all time. And I was talking with somebody else recently about it. And he was like, these are all white movies. And I was like, yeah, the only movie that's like of colors do the right thing. I think that's like only film directed by um, a black person wasn't even on the original list. It's on like the updated list that they eventually did um, for AFI um, 100 movie greatest movies. But Birth of a Nation is on there. And it's one of those movies that, you know, all the film school kids, I feel like have to watch in film school. I did. Yep. And I just remember watching it and being livid, devastated, and so pissed that this is so, unfortunately, for better or worse, is a piece of our cinematic history. And unfortunately, for better or worse, mostly worse, piece of our history, you know, as as America. And I just remember being appalled and, like, sickened and upset watching it. Um, and then also same feeling watching King Kong and did not feel so alone having that thought. Cause I have a lot of friends I feel like who are super film nerds that are like, Oh my God, I love King Kong. And it's always been one of those weird things for me where I was just like, I know this film is a metaphor for like black men and black culture. Um, and the fear of what they're going to do to, you know, white womanhood or whatever. And to see and hear other people talk about that, just like kind of affirmed my frustration because I've had conversations with like, you know, film nerd white dudes who just don't, didn't get it. Didn't understand what I was talking about, about that. It didn't really see it the same way I saw it and don't, didn't understand why I don't go see those movies or why I didn't, why I'm not excited about King Kong or why it always felt like really um, not the space that I wanted to occupy and not the movies that, resonated with me for very particular reason Mm -hmm. so I was anyway like super excited to hear that affirmation that I'm not insane (laughs) for feeling that way and and we also get you know what an affirmation of uh George Romero's place in cinematic history right because every single one of the the people interviewed were like that's the turning point there you are. You get Dwayne Jones as the hero who is not afraid to tell the white people to shut the fuck up and punch him in the face and just yeah, killing but- zombies and being like, but also being like super handsome and erudite. And you're like, damn, though. And like suave as hell. And just like, you're like, oh my God, he's hot. Like he's handsome. He's educated. He's not the gangster. He's not like some sort of stereotype of, of this black man. He's, you know, and I love finding out later, which is just like it was. Um, as they said, it's kind of one of those things where it was a happy accident, which I think is a lot of series of things reeling with Romero feels like happy accidents, I think, along the way um, with his whole career. But the fact that it wasn't written for a black man, this role was actually just written for an actor. He happened to be the best one to show up that day. When people talk about meritocracy, I was like, there you go. Like actually winning the game, the game and also 
changing history for so many people and also just like that pivotal time because this is 1968 mm-hmm. this is when you know when Do- the year dr king got shot this is when a lot of upheaval and civil unrest is happening we're in the midst of war so much is going on and um i've talked about this like that era of time a lot actually recently with my parents for my other uh, my other podcast our black history and that was a really pivotal pivotal year and to have this be a catalyst for so many people and kind of modern horror to take on these social issues, but from this perspective was just really empowering. Yes. So, I mean, obviously, if you listen to our podcast, you, you like horror movies. If you haven't seen Night of the Living Dead, uh, highly, highly recommended uh, just for the performances alone, but also that sweet layer of social commentary that George Romero does so well. And, of course, Ken Foray, who we have in the uh, doc as well, who is a, a wonderful in Dawn of the Dead as Peter. And um, I um, I used to be his personal assistant. You know that, right? I feel like that's, I feel I felt like you were connected and I couldn't remember why, but I was like, yeah. why do I know that name so much and why do I that's that's why. That's so cool. Well, what's up, Ken? Shout out to you. That's amazing. Uh, he, yes. Um, I saw him a few years ago at the premiere of the new Rob Zombie movie. And he he was remember me remember me completely and like came over and gave me a big hug. And you know, he's so enormous, so his hugs are like incredible you yes. oh my gosh yes. so i always smile when i see him i was really happy to see him in this documentary and like for him to get really his two cents out and see how he feels about it because that's not something that he probably gets asked about a lot is how does it feel to be have to have been and be black and horror and how does that limit you as an actor but also give you this kind of status to help others yeah, or catapult you because some people um, who were in, you know, in the film as well too, you know, have gone through um, across genres too. Like Loretta Devine, who I just is like, she's literally one of my heroes. I get very excited every time I see her and hear her voice on anything because she has a lot of voiceover too, um, and she's done stage, film, screen, everything. Like she's just a goddess. But to hear her, um, you know, talking about just like um, the transitioning through and using it as a catapult and Tony Todd too, you know, and, and all these other people talking about, um, we recently, you know, covering tales from the hood and talking about David Allen Greer and his like Shakespearean background. Yes. And knowing that like these actors with such gravitas because of their training and because of that can create such layered and fun characters that just, uh, haunt you in the most beautiful ways and to have, you know, someone like Tony Todd just talking, Yes. Oh, anyway, does he have an <laughs> does he have an ASMR channel? And if not, why not? Because that voice is honey to the ears. Would subscribe. I'm like dying over here. Like just like I was just so happy to hear him talk um, in depth just about what it was like to bring Candyman to life and what it was like to be that part of history and realizing as he was making it, you know, having one of his friends be like, you know, like that's who you are now forever. Like you're going to be immortalized, like as this, as this character, like no matter what you do, like this is so weighty and what, how you're like delivering this is just amazing. Um, And to hear that that was a story change too, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. as they went into that um, from original Clive Barker, a story and getting changed. uh, Wow. Um, and I, I think that they really, uh, I like that they go through all of the different decades. So they go in through uh, black exploitation and how you get things like Blackula, but then they also talk about Ganja and Hess, which uh, is, you know, which uh, I, is an incredible film, uh, which we haven't done a 
a podcast on, uh, but we should. Yeah, we talked about the update of it that we, um, yeah, the the sweet blood of Jesus that Spike Lee did. But I would love to talk about the OG one. Because uh, I, I watched it that. for prep for that. And it's yeah. stupendous. It's so incredibly art, like the most arty crazy like not what you're expecting at all and and Dwayne Jones again uh shirtless may I add for a lot of this film and just um, like he's like if you oh. took if you took like his educate like his educated part and like racked it up to like 11 and like then he's like super genius like that's who he is but also maybe a vampire Hot. um why are we not together like <laughs> <laughs> you can come turn me like just like let's be together forever what's uh, a little rich, blood between like, lovers right you know, it's just there's, there's a there's a price for certain things. I also really just uh, enjoyed looking at the history of each era and kind of what begat what and also what's influencing us now. Like especially you know looking with, with Jordan Peele and all the different pieces and layers um, he brought to Get Out. And I love Rachel True geeking out about that in this film. <laughs> She's like, okay, like all the symbolism, like he's doing this, he's doing that. You're like, oh my gosh, like putting, like connecting dots yeah. um, and looking at, and him talking about the influences, like you could see directly what films, you know, actually, you know, he's referencing. And that's one thing I love about horror is I feel like a lot of the genre is um, for a lot of great directors, just love letters to why they love it so much, mm-hmm. um, which is why I think people get so passionate about horror and why it gets us all excited and, and jazzed is those references. I, think, like, I, I don't know if this is like this for you, but I think a lot of horror movies that I watch kind of you have this what happens next in your head, right? So you're like, oh, okay. Now, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the end, but like, what happens now? What's the rest of her life now? Or take anything. And I think that's a fun way to kind of, for future filmmakers, people see Night of the Living Dead and they take their own version of what it's like in their life and then kind of make this new version of it. So I think you're getting this kind of reflection of the film through all of these different filters and lenses. Yeah, it's like ghost stories. You know what I mean? The way you pass them on and like they kind of take on the life of their own and like urban legends and tales that morph and change uh, with time. And it's it's like a reverence of like these are our, our tales that we get to pass on to people. And the way that we interact with these tales do reveal who we are as a society and do reveal what we're becoming or where we're regressing. Um, like I keep going back to Tales from the Hood again, too, just because I love that they were talking about how it really was social commentary, but then talking about Rusty talking about, oh, but this is why, because like my family, I grew up marching and like, you know, protesting everything. So I knew that if I'm making art, I've got to make it with a purpose um, and seeing that that uh, tradition being carried on. I think right now you're seeing a lot of filmmakers that are making stuff that is very referential of that and looking at social commentary because that is where we're at right now um, and wanting to make sure that we're seen and that we get to help push that narrative and drive our stories forward as well. Yeah, going from like that 90s renaissance also too and getting Jada Pinkett and Demon Knight. <laughs> I didn't realize it was such a like a turnaround kind of role, but I guess it was a really, really big deal. And she, I mean, she nails it. She's great. But I guess for me, like I don't, I always expect her to be great. So I'm not, you know, but if this is something you first seen her in, they'd be like, wow, you know, but I'm like, oh yeah, she's great. It's like Will Smith, like, not just he's going to be great. Her. Oh yeah, for sure. Like they're like, they don't do bad stuff. No. Like they know, they know how to, they know how to do deliver performances, but the talking about her being like the first like black final girl, like, yeah. like that was like the, the twist of like, Hey, when like that role was originally written, it wasn't necessarily written for a black woman, but the fact that it was changed the, how the story is perceived. And I just love, hearing that too just like oh yes of course 
a trick to people too of like, hey, like you, the blacker you think she's going to die first. Right. You just, you know, because of the tropes. Yeah, it's fun to kind of, that's fun how I think horror does that well is that they, each generation plays upon the tropes of the previous and is like, oh, this is what you expect, but now we're going to twist it. And so you had, that has to keep changing and evolving, which is what it keeps doing. And I think it's evolving in a good direction where not only are you getting a lot more uh, films written and directed, uh, but also starring uh, black actors. And, and it's, I think it's, it's great to see and it doesn't have to be because they talk about I almost thought they were going to they were going to reference so they talk about that time in the 90s when all of the the urban horror movie had z on the end yes vamps and like because I I was in I was I I was like held my breath for a second because I'm in one from uh full moon called crips with a z oh god yeah it's terrible (laughs) I'm in it for like 0.2 seconds but my mouth is on the cover so you know you do what you can that's kind of a big deal look at you immortalizing a z movie with a z (laughs) um uh, that's so funny yeah I I it it, I think that's uh like looking at the combination of like hip-hop culture and influence of, of culture into the into the films um I keep going back. I just, I just was, I'm still like, I'm so happy still. Like, I'm just so glad uh, that this movie exists. Um, And uh, I feel like I want to talk about two more things, but I don't know what they are right now. Oh, just watch it. Maybe that's what I should just tell people because I feel like I can like synthesize all this for you, but you got a bunch of talking heads that are brilliant people who talk about, you know, why, it's important and I think it's just a beautiful way and lens of looking at history. Super fun. Highly recommend. Yeah. And we, you know, we really want to help share black stories, not only during black history month, but all throughout the year. So if you have a film that you love, uh, that's uh, written, directed by a person of color, let us know. And we would, we would love to diversify. Uh, we would love to, we would love it. And also if you want to be on the show, you know, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting out, putting, putting in call out to Rachel True because I really want her on this show. I would love to talk with her. Um, everybody, anybody, uh, Tanana Reeve, everybody um, who was in the film, um, an invitation. Anywho, that's me shooting my shot on the show. <laughs> well, we hope you uh, liked our little baby review of Horror Noir, and I hope you'll check it out. It is streaming on Shutter, and it is there for you to watch and for it to delight you. Yes, be delighted. Um, and you can follow us on all these social medias at Horror Movie Survival Guide. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we have a Patreon at Horror Movie Survival Guide. Um, and we have merch at a Teespring store, so check that out. You can follow uh, any of those places and find all the links there. Have a wonderful week, and we'll chat with you again soon. <laughs>